Thank you. Thank you, thank you. We are in uh, 2 Corinthians this morning, chapter 3. If you'd care to, to find a Bible and turn back there, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. By way of uh, context, let me just remind us that um, the Apostle Paul founded this church at Corinth on his second missionary journey. Uh, he knew the people. He brought most of them to Christ probably himself. And yet problems arose there such that he had to make a quick return visit to the, to the church. And then he had to write probably three letters of correction to the church. The second we think is lost. Uh, he then sent Timothy there to help straighten things out. And he had to make an additional visit there afterward. Uh, all this to say, though Paul loved the Corinthian believers very much, there were several ongoing conflicts in their fellowship. And today's passage addresses a big one. <laughs> uh, that of what Jesus does to Judaism. The practice of Judaism. Uh, this issue became a problem at Corinth because of a group of people known as Judaizers. That's the name they've been given. They were Jews who'd accepted that Jesus was the Messiah, and yet they insisted that Christians or Messianic Jews follow the Mosaic law just the same. Essentially, they believed that followers of Jesus had to live as Jews, which led to a confusing situation. It left both Gentile and Jewish believers to ask, so what really is required of us to follow Jesus? It left that question in their minds. What is required of us to follow Jesus? That is a legitimate question. And frankly, it's one that is still being asked by many today. Because there are, and there have been for centuries, all sorts of different nuances to the teaching of the church worldwide regarding this, this rule of Christianity. What is required of us to follow Jesus? Can I drink? Can I smoke? Can I have short hair? Can I have long hair? Can I suffer disease? Can I be divorced? Can I be remarried? Can I feel same-sex attraction? Can I believe in reincarnation or aliens? Can I wear shorts or short sleeves? Can I marry someone of a different race or a different caste? Can I have two or more wives or two or more husbands? Can I do, can I feel, can I believe in this or that or something else and still be a Christian. The church, through the ages, has asked all of those questions and a thousand others at one time or another. So, what happened to Corinth was not the end of the questions. Every age has them. What Paul tried to do at Corinth was to help those asking the questions about the minute to take a step back and to take a look at the bigger picture. According to Paul, there was nothing at all wrong with the Jewish law. Paul tells the Roman church that the Jewish law is spiritual, holy, righteous, and good. He says here in verse 7 that the Jewish law was glorious in and of itself. 
It came with so much glory, the law did, in fact, that the Jews couldn't even look at Moses' face after he had met with God. Moses had so much splendor that he had to cover himself. Still, the glory of the law, the Apostle Paul says, was fading. Just as the shine faded from Moses' face over time. The glory of the law was fading because the law itself was fading. Paul says, its purpose was fading. The law was designed by God to be a temporary arrangement. A way for the Jews and, and any others who would to know God, to come to know God. The Mosaic law and the Jewish sacrificial system and the priests and the temple and the animals and all of that stuff. That was all a placeholder until God would usher in what would become the permanent arrangement. And that, Paul declares, has now happened in Jesus and in the presence of God's Spirit. God's whole purpose of calling humanity to himself and renewing and restoring his sin-broken world, he began that process right after the fall in Eden. It was put into active motion with God's call of Abraham and it was helped along in the right direction with the development of Moses and the deliverance of the Israelites from Egypt and the establishment of the law out there in the wilderness. But now, you see, in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, the sacrifice and the priesthood has reached its fulfillment, its pinnacle. Jesus has become both the great high priest and the perfect sacrifice. That's how Paul could write there in verse 10. Even as glorious as the law was, now it really has no glory at all compared to what is in Jesus. And in the coming of God's spirit, the law of God is now written on the hearts of every believer. God speaks person to person. He speaks spirit to spirit. So there has been this great sea change, you see. And it's all for the better. All because of Jesus. So, logically to Paul, it would be ridiculous to consider returning to the way it was. You know, it's like when caves or huts or tents where all people had to live in, they were perfectly fine. But who wouldn't rather live in a, in a nice, comfortable house? You know, when horses and buggies were all we had, they got us to where we needed to go. But if you look out in the parking lot, you'll see there's not one out there today. Carrier pigeons, they did the job just fine until cell phones came along, Right? And if there's no reason to go backward in any of those ways and a hundred other examples we could mention, then there is absolutely no reason to return to the old covenant, to the Mosaic law, because the new one is so much better. It's effective, in fact, where the old one was not. In Jesus and in his spirit, God has done what the law could never do it, what the law was not designed to do. The law was a tool, and it was good, and it was great, and it was even glorious toward fulfilling God's vision for our world. But it's Jesus 
and the Holy Spirit who completes the vision. And what is that vision? That vision is complete and total redemption. Restoration. God's vision has never been for the world to keep limping along, slogging along forever through sin and all its effects. No, God's vision is for a world that's restored to the way he designed and he created it to be initially. A world that is beautiful and peaceful and healthy and lovely. Glorious. Glorious. A glorious world. That's what God is out to accomplish. The Old Covenant, the Mosaic Law, that was just a tool in the process. It was a good tool, but it was nothing more than a good tool. It is the New Covenant. It's God's new arrangement in Jesus and the Spirit that is bringing God's vision to completion. A redeemed restored world. That's where God is going. And so that's where the Corinthian church had to go in order to follow God. They could not go backward. They could not be allowed to go backward. Only those who can't see forward, you see, only those who have veils over their vision would ever want to go backward. And since God's vision is a restored world, Since that's where he's going, since that's where Paul said the Corinthian church had to go, that's where we're going too. That's what we see as the inevitable God-designed future. And as his people here in Wilmore, Kentucky in 2023, it is our privilege to be on board with that. Our church has put it like this. Uh, We see, or we are with God, on the way to a community that reflects Jesus' vision and values. That's our church's vision statement. That's how we interpret God's vision for his world. A community that reflects Jesus' vision and values. What's that mean? Well, first it means a community. Uh, God was never, ever out just for Jews To embrace him and his plans and his vision. That's one of the big errors that the Jews fell into. Somehow they came to think that they were the only ones that God loved. The only ones that he wanted to bless. There are some groups in the world today that think they're the only ones. But that was never so. God wanted to use the Jews to bless the rest. God's always intended to redeem The whole world, the whosoever will of the world. And that's what we mean by community. Now, certainly we want all of us here, but we also want everyone around us, whosoever will, as far as our reach allows, that is part of our community. Our neighbors, our towns, our states, our nations, our races, our people groups, we we see in the future this ever-widening circle of restoration and wholeness and redemption. That's the sort of community God has in mind. So God sees and we see a community that reflects Jesus. Everything revolves around Jesus. 
Apart from being the centerpiece of God's new covenant, Jesus is also the epitome of God's standard for our world. Paul calls Jesus the last Adam. Unlike the first Adam, the Adam of Eden, Jesus is the Adam who lived a life of perfect obedience to God and to God's will, which makes Jesus not only our way to God, but he is also our perfect example of a God-pleasing life. So we want ourselves as his church here, and we want all who will respond to Jesus in faith, every community we're a part of, we want all of us to reflect Jesus, to live God-pleasing lives of obedience. We want to be ourselves, and we want to see to, to help create all around us a community that reflects Jesus. And then we mentioned two specific ways. It means in whole, but these two ways in particular. Jesus' vision and Jesus' values. A community that reflects Jesus' vision and values. Reflecting Jesus' vision means to see as Jesus sees, which requires a transformation of sight. Because Jesus sees differently than the unredeemed, unrestored world around us. He always has, and he still does today. Jesus sees things differently. You see, the unrestored, unredeemed world sees the weak and the vulnerable as objects to be exploited. Jesus sees the weak and the vulnerable differently. He sees them as worthy of others' special protection and care. The world sees the poor as pathetic and pitiable. Jesus sees them as uniquely blessed. The world sees suffering as something that should be avoided at all costs. Jesus sees suffering as something that will refine us and make us more like him. The world sees the love and pursuit of money as the answer to all its problems. Jesus sees the love of money as the root of all evil. The world sees earthly power as this great source of efficiency. Jesus sees earthly power as a great source of corruption. The unredeemed world sees death as the hopeless end. Jesus sees death, for those who follow him, as the glorious beginning. Jesus' vision is different. And so we who follow him... We want to see, and we want all around us to see, the way Jesus sees. We want to reflect and influence our world to reflect Jesus' vision. And then we also want to reflect and help our world reflect Jesus' values. You see, Jesus never compromised his Heavenly Father's moral standards. Yet he was able to separate the sin from the sinner. To truly see and love and embrace the person while at the same time completely rejecting that person's behavior. The world does not understand that. It has never understood that. Especially in our day, it does not understand it. But that is part of God's character. That is precisely why, in fact, while we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. If the sin of the world wasn't a problem, Jesus wouldn't have had to die. 
If Jesus did not love us deeply, he would have not chosen to die. So we want to reflect that part of Jesus too. Our intention is to have the love for the lost that Jesus had in his heart in our hearts. While still valuing what God values. Never compromising with sin. Never justifying sin. Never saying sin is fine. Never saying that. We want our church, our greater community, and every community around us to reflect Jesus' values so that we can all participate in God's redeemed and restored world. That's God's vision. A redeemed world. That's why there's a New Testament. That's why Jesus came. And that's why God sent us his spirit. To give us the power to make possible a restored world. The law and the temple and the sacrifices and the priests, they could never accomplish that. But Jesus and his spirit can. Jesus and God's Holy Spirit, in fact, they're doing it even now. And God is going to complete it. And we want to be a part of it. A glorious world. Restored to the glory it displayed before the fall. That's God's vision. Now, can you see that? (laughs) Can you see it? Do you want to see it come true? We all do. We are all, all the earth, Romans 8 says, is groaning for this to happen. The world itself is groaning for God's restoration to be completed. And you can see that all around the world today. But you see, for that to happen, we have to leave the former things behind. Whatever that might be in our lives. For those at Corinth, for some of them at Corinth, that was the trappings of the old covenant. They loved it. They appreciated all of the art of it and the beauty of it and maybe the smells of it. I don't know. They loved it. They were comfortable with it. But as glorious as it was, as useful as it was, in order to move forward with God, they had to realize that it was never designed to take them where they needed to go. It would never lift the luggage of God's ultimate plan. So, in order to follow Jesus, they had to leave it behind. The veil had to be lifted so they could see as Jesus sees. Paul says there in verse 14, only in Christ is the veil taken away. Again, in verse 16, whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is lifted. Former things can keep us blinded and unable to see what God is up to. To choose to believe in Jesus means to choose to see as he sees, to see where God is going in our world. In order to do that, we all have to leave behind old ways of thinking, old philosophies, old priorities, old habits, sometimes, unfortunately, old relationships, things that used to work for us, things that made sense to us, things that were comfortable before we knew Jesus. The world's ways of seeing and valuing, those have to go. They have to go. Anything that keeps us from becoming and from helping all around us to become 
People who reflect Jesus' vision and values. Anything that keeps that from happening, we have to set it aside. God's Spirit helps us to do that. Do you remember when you you first thought about Jesus and and who he is and what he did? Do you remember the moment that, that you first thought, you know, this Jesus stuff, this makes sense to me? Do you remember that? When you received Jesus? Yeah, I want to do that. I believe that. I trust him. I want to do that. That makes sense to me. Do you know what it was that was affirming that in your heart? That was God's spirit. Drawing yourself to him. He'd been working on you for a while. But that was his spirit. Drawing you to him. And he never stops doing that. Now some people stop hearing. And some people stop seeing. But the the God's spirit never stops doing that. Even years, decades into following Jesus, we, we can come to realize new things about God. What he's doing. How he's working. And when those moments come, we're confronted with this choice to believe and move forward or to deny and stay where we are. When we choose to believe and follow, it's like another little piece of a veil is removed. And suddenly we can see both God and ourselves more clearly. We see and we value, as Jesus does, a little bit more perfectly. And that's the work of God's spirit. He doesn't stop. He keeps on going. He will go as quickly and as thoroughly as we will receive and as we can handle. God's spirit helps us become and helps us help others become people, communities that reflect Jesus more and more perfectly. I wonder... I wonder if there is some little part of a veil that God's spirit is pointing out to you. Something in your life that's affecting your ability to trust Jesus and to move forward. To see as he sees and to value as he values. Maybe it's something old, something something very comfortable to you, but something you know deep in your heart. As much as you knew it was true when you first received Jesus, you know in your heart that God wants to change that for the sake of this glorious world that he is recreating. Is there something that the Spirit is pointing out to you? For that group in Corinth, it was a huge theological deal with potentially church-wrecking implications if it succeeded. Now, for you or me, it may not be such a big doctrinal issue but it can still affect us and it can affect the church just because it's big enough to keep us from following God's vision so so would you hear God's spirit if he is pointing out any good but temporary thing that needs to go So that the best and lasting thing can take its rightful place. If you sense the Spirit talking to you about something like that in your life, respond to Him and let Him take that so that the best and lasting thing can come.
Father, we pray that we would never be as that group in Corinth who tried to hang on too long to something that needed to go so that your plan of restoration could move forward. Lord, if there is any little place in our lives that a veil still covers, any little place where we can't see as you see, would you, Holy Spirit, point that out here and now even? And would you lift it away so that our plans, our work, our vision for this world would be completely in line with yours? That is what we want. Deep in our hearts, Lord, that is what we want. Make it so in our lives, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen.